Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. Hello, everyone. My name is David Scherer. Pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Woo-woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My name is Joe Davis. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I am an artist based in Minneapolis, Minnesota as well. And we work together. We're a dynamic duo at times. Uh, A lot of our work is focused on interculturalism and, and building bridges to participate in the beloved community. You know, we talk about culture, race, ethnicity, and, and having a healthy balance of, of sameness and difference. And so when we're doing our, our you know, facilitating conversation or performing concerts and using art as a catalyst to get after some of those things, afterwards, you know, folks will come up to me and start asking me all these questions. And a lot of times it's like white folks asking me to speak on behalf of black folks. And I'm like, yo, I can't do that. Like, I have my own lived experience that I certainly will speak from. But I get folks coming up to me asking me how to solve racism. That's like one of the big ones. It's like, man, come it's on. It's <laughs> Right? Yeah. And, and I love, you know, this has been said throughout history by different people in different ways. But coming from a person of color's perspective is, if we could solve racism by ourselves, we would have done it by now. And so I think it's going to take each and every one of us to participate in that work. There's not any single way that it's going to be done. It's, it's um, you know, it's, it's really starts with the relationships, even the relationships that we have with ourselves relationships that we have with our loved ones, those in our community, all the way up to the relationships that our, our government has with us. Small scale to large scale, and we have to analyze those relationships. And without getting too deep, yeah, I think that's a big part of it, but I would want to tell white folks, don't lean on black folks entirely for all those answers. Like They have to go back to their own communities and have those conversations and to disrupt cycles of violence and oppression and, and white supremacy. So they have to do a certain amount of work too. Um, it can't just come straight to the black folks say, hey, what are all the answers? Or, mm-hmm. you know, so that's one thing I would say. Mm-hmm. And also that it's, it's not just about like white folks treating people of color nicely. <laughs> like it's, it's far more than that. Well, I, I would piggyback on that and say racism isn't going to get solved because people are nicer. And, and I would say, actually, we need to be meaner as white people. And what I mean by that is we, I come from Minnesota and there's something called Minnesota nice and the kind of this Northern European indirect conflict style, it creates this white solidarity in white people. There's white silence and we sit around and don't say anything, don't rock the boat, don't bring up race, you know, just be nice. And and actually what needs to happen is we need to get uncomfortable with each other. We need to be able to call each other out a little bit or, or say the thing that needs to be said in the room in solidarity with people. That's what will disrupt, as Joe said, disrupt the status quo. The other thing I would say to white folks is look around and see who's uncomfortable in the room. And that's something that a friend of mine told me. She said, Dave, any room you go into, you are as comfortable as you want to be. You can spread out and take up as much space as you want. And the reason is because everyone else in the room, women and people of color are, are shouldering the discomfort in the room. And so that's part of why you're able to be so comfortable. It's because others are shouldering the discomfort for you. So I invite people, and this is what I've tried to start doing, and I'm not always nailing it, is to ask myself, how can I shoulder more of the discomfort? How can I 
have the uncomfortable conversation or how can I lead the conversation about race? So it's not always, Hey Joe, you, you do it. Cause that's right. what you do. Cause you're the only one having a racialized experience. No white person. You're having a racialized experience. We all are. So how can we identify that more and articulate more and tell our stories? Cause um, white people need to be able to tell their stories of race as well so that it's not always just on, you know, Oh race. That's a, that's a nice thing to have for other people. Right. You know? That's, that's what I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, a lot of that, too, I really appreciate, like, having this space where people of color can call white folks out in a, in a way where they're not going to just fall into, you know, what we sometimes call fr uh, white fragility or, or white guilt, where it can be done. I, like to, I often like to say, instead of calling people out, we call people in, because really that's the hope, is that we're calling each other into our highest selves, into our best selves, where we can be most authentic and true to who we want to be. And so that's the hope. But I think sometimes these conversations get stifled because the moment you even mention race, people get so, white people in particular, get so uncomfortable that they don't know what to say or what to do and they don't want to bring the conversation any further. So my hope is that we can create a space where like white folks can say, hey, I'm, I'm here to listen, I'm here to learn. I'm not going to freak out uh, if you say something that makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to stick it out. A big part of the work is building the capacity to hold that discomfort collectively even we're out of practice of, of being uncomfortable together there's different power dynamics that play too when it comes to that discomfort for sure you gotta stick it out more stick it out longer get your reps in as far as being uncomfortable and look for those opportunities where you can you can build the capacity to be uncomfortable more and longer because that's how you become stronger when you think about when you're in the gym getting your reps in tearing the muscles they get bigger with anything, it takes practice, right? That's something else I would want to add to the conversation. It's because so oftentimes people want these changes to happen overnight. They want them to happen immediately. And yes, there can be a sense of urgency when people are literally dying because of racism, right? Um, however, like total liberation, collective liberation, collective healing is going to take time. And so... Uh, I try to keep that as a reminder. And that's something I want to tell white folks too. It's like, hey, we we need you all to start like doing this work with us so that we can get closer to that healing. And, th and that collective healing that Joe mentions, I think that white folks don't really know what's in it for them. Like, let's say this thing all turns around and we actually have more justice in the world. Like, how's that going to help me? In fact, that's going to hurt me because I'm going to have to give up something. And that's traditionally how we viewed it, as opposed to in my experiences of when I, when I do have that fear and that fragility, when I push through that discomfort and see the blessing waiting for me on the other side, um, I see my own healing happening in a way that I didn't even know I needed to be healed. And so for white people to be, be able to identify how white supremacy and patriarchy and all these things are killing all of us, mm -hmm. I mean, literally and figuratively, there's reasons that white dudes are getting angry and going out and shooting up you know places this whiteness tells a bunch of lies about isolation and meritocracy and if you're not succeeding it's your fault you just got to bootstrap it and rugged individualism all these things that are are killing all of us it's not just people of color that are i mean they're the ones who get the brunt of it obviously but we're all suffering from this system none are free until all are free and until we like really really believe that it's it's going to be a lot of fits and starts in our efforts until mm -hmm. i finally say all right, Joe, like our liberation is tied up in each other to the point where I, I just I can't be free until mm -hmm. you're fully free and we're free together. And so do do you have anybody in your life who you're so intimately connected with 
where your liberation is, is bound up in each other's? Do you have a queer friend who is so deeply connected to you that their liberation is your liberation? Do you have a, a, a person of color in your life, you know, who is ride or die with you? And most of us don't, if you look at the statistics. So how, how can we get deeper with each other, trust each other enough mm -hmm. to get to that place so we can all be liberated together? Yeah. Until we're able to, to recognize those relationships or form those relationships, we're actually not going to stick it out long enough to, to make the real change happen. I, I like the saying, when you know your why, there's no how you can't overcome. So, so finding your why, finding what's at stake for you, finding those relationships where you're like, this is why I'm doing this work of, of racial justice, of healing, transformation, liberation, like this, this liberative work. Like until you find the reason that's going to keep you in the struggle, going to keep you in those conversations, going to, going to push your, your body in those places of discomfort, then we're actually not going to find, you know, the healing that we all so desperately need. So that's something I want to tell white folks who like they have to find that for themselves. Yes. Like I can't find it for them because they'll come up to me afterwards asking me for the answers. I'm like, you got to look inside yourself. Mm -hmm. You got to look at yourself in the mirror. You got to look at your family, at your neighborhood and find out why does this even matter to you? Because mm -hmm. you can opt out at any mm -hmm. given time. I can't like I can't change the color of my skin. I don't want to change the color of my skin either because I'm proud. I know that black is beautiful. Right. And I want you to also be proud of, of who they are in a way that's not harmful to themselves and to others. I want them to find a sense of self that isn't dependent on a racialized hierarchy, isn't dependent on the oppression and exploitation of other people um, for them to feel good about themselves. Because that's what's happened historically, um, systemically in light of white supremacy. Yeah, yeah. Look for those redemptive models of whiteness because they're out there. And that's what we need is we need to look who are the people that are doing liberation work that look like me that can lead the way for me. Whiteness, it, it's very nuanced because like whiteness as a system is, is really, really bad and horrible as a social construct that was created to subjugate people. Healthy whiteness, uh, having an understanding of one's own ethnicity, as well as having an understanding of one's own power and privilege and how that gets wielded for good. That's a redemptive way to redeem being white. So people are like, oh, you're you're against white people. Like, no, we're not, I'm not against white people, but I'm against being white. It's very, it's very, yeah. no, it's hard to describe, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but, yeah. but whiteness as a system that's dominated people, mm -hmm. that's what we don't want. But yeah. we want new ways to be white that are collaborative and that are uh, liberative for all people. Yeah. And I, I want white folks to also know that when I'm celebrating uh, my blackness, when I'm celebrating my culture, that's not demeaning or degrading their culture. Sometimes there's this, this polarizing way of, of like hearing, if I were to say black lives matter, that means like white lives don't or they feel threatened or something. But I, I want to be in a world where we, we celebrate who we are and it isn't seen as a threat to another person just because we're celebrating the particularities of our identity. I think we can all do that in a, in a space, but we're not there yet. And I think that that's because we haven't done the work of building the trust and building those relationships and being uncomfortable. Uh, Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. would say that we're all woven together in an inextricable garment of destiny. That uh, idea, it's not even an idea to me though. It's like a way of being and thinking. That's what drives my work. Cause I really, really do feel um, in the core of my being that our liberation is, is inextricably connected. That's unity and love to me. The way we're united and the only way we're gonna kind of find that healing in the midst of all of this woundedness is if we come to, to live into that truth in a real way. 
unity is not something that we need to seek necessarily. It's something we need to live out. Mm -hmm. Unity is reality. Like we mm -hmm. are united, we're interconnected, whether we want to be or not. Yeah. So then the question becomes, how are we going to live that out together? And sin is forgetfulness. We forget our own belovedness, uh, our own connection to our creator and our connection to each other. So it's just remembering each other, being able to reconnect with, we're, we're not disconnected actually, but live into the reality of our connectedness that's already there. We're not the same in Christ as we talk about, but we're one in Christ. So when Paul says, we're, you know, we're one in Christ, that doesn't mean we're all the same. And I think one of the beautiful things, when, when I know how interconnected you and I are, and when I know how united we are, I can allow you to be you. I can let you thrive and, and be who you're called to be and created to be. I don't need to mold you into me. That's what true unity looks like is we honor the particularity of each person. That's when I can hear Black Lives Matter and not get threatened because I know this is my sibling that I'm connected to. So when he says what he says, it's not a threat to me. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.